Thank you, Wendy and Charity and Casey, for making beautiful music to help us worship our Lord this morning. <clears throat> Would you pray with me as, as we begin? Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our hearts to love the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word. And Lord, would you cause us to gain strength and encouragement from your word? Lord, would you cause us to see your great hand, not only through your word at work in Joseph's life, but your great hand at work in our lives? Lord, would you help us to see how you desire to work in and through our lives to be about your mission in the world? So, God, we ask this and we pray that you would do this because you promise in your word that when we come to you, and we ask of you that you hear from heaven and that you will work in our lives. And so, Lord, turn our hearts toward you. God, cause our desires and our affections to be to be cast upon you this morning and work in our lives by your Holy Spirit. We give you permission by your spirit to work in us and on us and to direct us. And now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <coughs> So we continue to look at the journey of faith, this series, walking through several Old Testament characters. This morning, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. Joseph is a uh, memorable character from Scripture. We see him early on in Genesis 37 through 50. Uh, the story of Joseph, I think we could probably spend eight to ten weeks just on Joseph's life alone. But this morning we have about 25 to 30 minutes in order to focus on Joseph's life. So I want us to get a big overview of Joseph's life and see this theme, as Mr. Al shared earlier, enduring faith or the faithfulness of God. Because the Joseph story, it invites us to see how God faithfully and providentially works in the midst of the brokenness of humanity in order that God would accomplish his purpose in the world. And so Joseph's faith is a, a living, active faith. Through all the setbacks and the sufferings that Joseph happened, that happened to Joseph in his life that mark his journey, he continued serving God faithfully in every season of his life. But the greater story of Joseph's journey isn't really about Joseph at all. It's about how God providentially and sovereignly works in and through Joseph's life. And so this morning, as New Covenant believers, I want us to see that living faith looks beyond life's circumstances and causes us, are you, and, and causes us, or we use God's given gifts to us to showcase His glory in the world. The goal of our lives is to showcase Christ's glory in the world. The narrative of Joseph's story takes us from Genesis 37 through Genesis 50, the end of Genesis. And, 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 and the big picture of the grand narrative tells us how God continues to fulfill his covenant promise to Abraham. 
This highlights for us how God is always at work in the lives of his people, shepherding and guiding us through valleys and through peaks, setbacks and triumphs. Joseph's faith journey challenges us today to trust in God, to walk by faith, and to use our gifts to join God in His mission of redeeming the world. So this morning, as we consider Joseph's faith walk, there are two main categories that I want us to focus on. First, it's this, that Joseph never lost sight of God and continues to trust Him. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our well-being, but He shouts to us in our suffering. Another person said, suffering times are a Christian's best improving times. Some of us have experienced this when we walk through suffering. These are the times that we feel the nearest to God. We, we are casting our cares upon Him and depending and trusting in Him. Another person wrote in America, Christians pray for the burden of suffering to be lifted from their backs. In the rest of the world, Christians pray for stronger backs so they can bear their suffering. You know, Joseph's story certainly offers us wisdom in light of suffering, for he suffered unjustly in great ways. So first this morning, we see that Joseph served God faithfully in the midst of unjust suffering. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11, we'll, we'll camp out there for a minute and we'll kind of get, get an understanding of the flow of what was happening in, in, in Joseph's life. This is our introduction to Joseph's life in verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, In the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Here is, here's this dream, or hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were standing, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told, told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. You see, Joseph's brothers hated him. 
They hated him, and so because they hated him so much, they found a way that they would sell him into slavery. And I think it's important for us to realize, to recognize, or to even understand, Joseph's call was a call to suffering and to rejection before it was ever a call to exaltation. And I think this points Christians to view our own journey in light light of Joseph's journey as we long for and wait for eternity with God. You see, the brokenness of humanity is on full display in these first 11 verses. Parental favoritism evokes family discord. Jacob should have learned from his parents that this family or or, or favoritism provokes family discord. And so we see this generational sin occurring over again in Joseph's life, now with Jacob and his children. And so this generational sin would continue to plague Jacob's family, and now Joseph and his brothers. In verse 2, we see that Joseph wasn't perfect, as some might expect. As we kind of read through the story, we begin to think of Joseph as the, the innocent little boy wearing the coat of many colors, but that's not necessarily the case with Joseph. He probably brought back an exaggerated report to his father and was kind of viewed as a, a, a tattleteller on his older brother's. And though his dreams were from God, by sharing them with his brothers, he sealed his fate to be sold into slavery. Joseph's brothers hated him. They couldn't speak peacefully to him at all, verse 4 says. Talk about a dysfunctional family, right? Their jealousy and hatred led them to rage, to murderous thoughts. You see the progression? And then to deception as Jacob had deceived his father Isaac. So now Jacob himself is deceived by his sons. Verses 12 through 28. The brothers have gone to Shechem to pasture the flocks. And Jacob, maybe being the absent-minded father, sends his youngest son, who's hated by his older brothers, go out and check on your brothers some 50 miles away in Shechem. He gets to Shechem. He's wandering around the field Obviously, he's not a shepherd because he's wearing this coat that shepherds would never wear. It's the coat of many colors. It's a coat that would be fit for a prince. And so he's wandering in the field and some stranger comes up and sees him wandering in the field and says, what are you, what are you looking for? He says, I'm looking for my brothers. You know where they went? He said, yeah, I heard them say they went over to Dauphin. And so he goes another 13 miles, 63, 64 miles away from his home trying to find his brothers. Well, it says his brothers see him coming from afar. And they begin to plot evil against him. They say, look, I see this dreamer coming. Look at that dreamer coming. You see his coat across the field. And they begin to say, here's what we're going to do when he comes. Let's kill him. Let's take that coat and tear it off of him. Let's bring it back to our father and tell him some animal has killed his son. And we found the remains. But Reuben, the oldest, steps up and says, no, don't. Don't kill him, just throw him into the pit. And so they throw him into the pit, and it says they're, they're sitting down eating lunch, and behold, they see across a, a band of traders, Midianite traders coming. And so they sell, they sell Joseph to the Midianite traders for 20 shekels of silver. And he's transported and brought to Egypt. What a terrible scene to think about. The hatred of his brothers against him. They sold him. For 20 shekels of silver, Joseph 
suffers unjustly at the hand of his brothers. In fact, later on in the narrative, chapter 42, verse 21, we kind of get a glimpse of the older brothers and their thoughts as the days progress and and as the days lengthen between the time when they sell him to the time that they meet him again. They say, in truth, we're guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Fast forward to chapter 39, verses 1 and 2 give us the detail of what's going on in Joseph's life. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Joseph served Potiphar. In his house, he served God faithfully as he served Potiphar, but he suffered unjustly again. You see, even though he had faithfully served Potiphar and the Lord was with him, blessing all that he did, he was even entrusted with, he was even entrusted with all authority in Potiphar's house. Yet in chapter 39, verse 17, we see that Potiphar's wife lied against Joseph. And when she did, he was thrown into the pit again where he would remain for another two years. Chapter 39 through 20 tells us that he was locked away in prison when Potiphar heard of what had happened, what his wife had accused Joseph of doing. You know, as we read through the story, we kind of begin to think, man, Joseph must have been the most unlucky guy on the face of the earth. Sold by his brothers into slavery, starts climbing the ladder. Then all of a sudden, he's lied against, and now he's thrown back into prison. But as we read it, we we know that this isn't a string of bad luck in Joseph's life. We know that God is faithfully and providentially working behind the scenes in Joseph's life to accomplish his great hand and his, his great purpose and great work in Joseph's life in and through Joseph. But the question that I think about as we come to this part of the text is, how do we understand the complexities of life and the circumstances that shape and inform the troubles that we find ourselves in? Are we to see God as the author of those things? Are we to see God as the creator of our difficulties? Or or do we see God as the gracious, benevolent Father who uses our sufferings and our failures, even our sin, to accomplish His purposes and ultimately to bring glory to Himself. You see, God is at work perpetually in the world. He's working good on our behalf and He's doing it all for His glory. This is a truth that we learn in the midst of walking with God because to the greater degree that we're committed to following God, the greater potential for our suffering in the world that is increasingly anti-God. As children, we must learn to rest our souls in the comfort of knowing that God is in control. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. God isn't caught by surprise. And so we, like Joseph, must learn to rest in the providential care of God because God is at work in this world and in our lives for our good and for His glory. You see, Joseph's rejection and suffering wasn't outside of God's providential care. 
in the same way that Jesus' rejections and sufferings weren't outside of God's providence. In Matthew 16, 21, Matthew writes, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hand of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. The author of Hebrews encourages us with these words, Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You see, the answer for the believer in bearing up under sufferings is to look unto Christ. Just as Joseph remained faithful to God in the midst of unjust sufferings, we too as believers are to remain faithful to God even in the midst of our sufferings, whatever those sufferings may be. Secondly, I want you to notice, not only did he remain faithful to God in the midst of unjust sufferings, he exercised his gifts wherever God placed him. We see this in chapter 40 and and 41. And I want you to hear me out, church. Listen, we can't allow the circumstances of life to dictate our usefulness in serving God to advance his kingdom. God wants to work in and through the circumstances of our lives, not that we would be handicapped by them, but that God would get glory as He works in them and as He works through them. In chapter 40, verses 7 and 8, Joseph is in the pit again as we reference from chapter 39. He's in prison. But get this, even in prison, chapter 39, verses 21 through 23, shows us that God's hand is is still intimately involved in Joseph's life. Look at Genesis 39, 21 through 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Here's God's faithfulness working in the midst of Joseph's circumstances. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. You see, Pharaoh places two officers, two of his officers, in prison. And Joseph then comes and interprets those prisoners' dreams for they're placed under Joseph's care. And they they have dreams, chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. Joseph notices their downcast face when he says, so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in the master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we've had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. You see, Joseph exhibits even great faith here. My God has the answer. Tell me your problem. Tell me what the dreams were, and I'll tell you what they mean because he has faith in God. Fast forward to chapter 41. Two years later, Pharaoh has two dreams, and he needs, one, he needs them to be interpreted. And those two guys that Joseph interpreted for earlier, the baker was released. The other one was hanged. And so the baker remembers Joseph from two years earlier and tells Pharaoh, he says, I remember this guy when I was in prison. He interpreted my dreams. And so the baker tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh calls Joseph up. And in chapter 41, 
verses 14 through 16, we read the account of Joseph meeting Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. There is no one who can interpret it. And I heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You see the faith of Joseph here? He's saying, I don't have the answer, but I know God does. And God will give the answer on both occasions. Joseph is seen using his gift from God, not as a means of of escaping suffering, but as a means of bringing glory to God. So that here in chapter 41 in verses 51 and 52, after he's brought out of prison, he's been removed from the pit, he's been placed in the palace. Joseph doesn't forget God's providential hand in his life. And so he names his sons accordingly, Manasseh and Ephraim. In verse 51 of chapter 41, Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. And in verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, Joseph didn't allow the circumstances of his life to dictate his usefulness to God. He served God faithfully wherever the road led. Whatever our sufferings, whatever our struggles in life, whether we're persecuted for righteousness sake on the job or among our peers in school or within our family, Our call is to remain faithful to God and use our God-given gifts for His glory. Even if our sufferings and struggles are brought about by our own sinfulness, this too can be used by God as we repent and call out to Him for deliverance. This is why Paul says from prison in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And then he says in verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, Paul himself being in prison. In verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent... I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Church, here's our call to live the gospel faithfully in the city, in our city, in Baton Rouge and to the nations. That we would stand side by side for the faith of the gospel and exercise our gifts wherever and however God leads us and wherever God places us. This is what Joseph did. He used his gifts. He exercised his gifts wherever God placed him. He gave God glory in the midst of it. And thirdly, we see that Joseph's faith in God informed his integrity. Joseph was a man of integrity. He didn't let power or position go to his head. 
He remained faithful to trust in God and remembered that God was the one who had installed him and God was the one who could dethrone him, so to speak. Joseph has gone from the pit to a very comfortable life. If we kind of back up a little bit in the story to chapter 39 and go back to when he was ruling in Potiphar's house. He had gone from the pit to a very comfortable life. Everything was going right for Joseph. He was serving his master and the Lord was blessing the work of his hands immensely. Listen to what Scripture says in chapter 39, verses 4 and 5, about God's blessing on Joseph's life. Chapter 39, verses 4 and 5. So Joseph found favor in his sight, that's Potiphar, and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house... And over all that he had had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Now, I want to submit to you that Joseph could have just kind of began coasting, thinking, you know, I've, I've arrived. I've made it. I'm not in the field with my brothers who hate me. I'm out of prison. He sold me to slavery, but, but you know, I'm, now I'm... Now I'm, I'm at a place where I can just kind of coast and be comfortable. Joseph was Egypt's most eligible bachelor. Look in verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. He wasn't married yet, right? And after a time, listen in verse 7 to what happened. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master, because because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater than me. He's not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept anything anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God. He could have committed adultery with Potiphar's wife. But he didn't. Why? Because of his faith in God. It would have grieved his heart to sin against God. Oh, that we would, we would have this view about sin in our own lives. That would grieve our hearts to sin against God. Joseph wanted his life to honor God. And in verse 10, we read, chapter 39, verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her, to lie beside her or to be with her. Day after day, as he'd go into the house doing the work that he was to do, temptation was there day after day as he encountered Potiphar's wife. And when temptation grew too great, he left his cloak in her hand and he ran from sin. His mind was set on honoring God. Listen, church, I think this is where we often lose the battle against temptation and sin. We haven't set our minds on pursuing God. This is why in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul exhorts the believer, If then you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you've died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
You see, the battle against temptation and sin must first be waged in the believer's life with the mind set upon Christ. Like Joseph in verses 11 and 12, when sin's desires intense and threatens to engulf us, we must be prepared to run. And this speaks specifically to the immoral nature of the sin that was threatening to engulf him. But I I think it goes beyond that. It certainly applies in our culture to this immorality that runs rampant within our culture. But it even goes beyond that immorality. And it speaks to all temptation to sin in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be ready to run from temptation. James 4, 7 and 8 speaks and says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Here's the success. Here's the equation. Here's the answer to fleeing from sin and having our minds set upon God. Submit ourselves to God. Draw near to him. And the promise of the word is he draws near to us. We must be careful to set our minds upon the things of God. When times were profitable, or when times were difficult for Joseph. Joseph didn't abandon his faith. Instead, it seems that, that his pursuit of God grew even stronger and stronger. Oh God, may we be men and women of integrity who set our minds on the things above. That which is befitting and becoming of Christward living. May that be our heart's desire, church. We want God to work in our lives. We want to follow Him and, and pursue Him. Let us set our minds upon Christ. That's where the battle has to begin. Joseph's way of dealing with suffering was to trust God by faith and to remain teachable. In the midst of suffering, he remained teachable. That's how he learned in his suffering. He didn't have a a poor pity me party. He, He remained teachable. He used his gifts to serve wherever God had placed him. And he set his mind on the things of God. This is what Joseph did in serving God. This is how Joseph continued to walk by faith and never lost sight of God and continued to trust him. But secondly, this morning, I want you to see that God never lost sight of Joseph and continued to bless him. God oversaw every step of Joseph's journey. We kind of get a a preview throughout the the chapters from 39 through, through 45 of what happened in Joseph's life. But I want you to hear something. This is different than saying that God oversaw every step of Joseph's journey. We're not saying that God manipulated every step of Joseph's journey. Because what we see in the narrative is that God is working in and through the circumstances surrounding his life, in and through the relationships that he has and the people that are involved and engaged in his life. He's working through difficult relationships, dysfunctional family, lies that are cast against him. And such is the case in a fallen world, right? People lie against us. They attack our character. We suffer unjustly. We're persecuted for righteousness' sake. We suffer because of sin that we allow to creep in and grab a foothold in our lives. We suffer through our children. We, we suffer through our grandchildren. 
We experience joy and suffering in, in, in all of those ways. And so we see in the life of Joseph that God was overseeing every step of his journey. Listen, in chapter 39, verses 3 through 6, it was God who made Joseph head over Potiphar's house. In verses 20 through 23 of chapter 39, it was God who gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. In chapter 40, it was God who gave Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's servants' dreams. In chapter 41, verses 25 through 36, it was God who gave Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dreams. In chapter 41, verses 38 through 45, it was God who put it in Pharaoh's heart to place Joseph over the land of Egypt. I want you to hear me. Just as God providentially oversaw every step of Joseph's journey, church, listen, God providentially oversees and works in every step of our journey. This is the promise of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, therefore there's now, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, because our sins are gone, Christ has settled our debt, we too have been delivered from the pit. And the stain of our sin has been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And the further promise in Romans 8.28 says that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You see, this is God's providential hand and care working in our lives, desiring to use each of us in each circumstance and situation and the platforms that he's given us to bring him glory. Philippians 2.13 says it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he goes on in verse 14 to say, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Why? So that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Listen, among whom you shine as lights in the world. The believer, let your light shine in the midst of the world. Let others see God's glory working in and through you, that even in the midst of suffering, you're ready to give God glory. Ephesians 2.10, right? For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus that we would walk in good works which God prepared beforehand. Believer, remember that God is at work in you and through you. And here's how God was at work in Joseph's life. God used Joseph to fulfill his purpose and promise to preserve life. In Genesis 42 through 44, it records Jacob's recon- I mean, Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers. You can go and you can read how God fulfills the dreams that he gave to Joseph and, and that led him ultimately to being enslaved and brought to Egypt. But I want to focus on the bigger story of what God was doing through Joseph's rejection and suffering. And, and really, this is the theme that's woven all throughout the narrative. Through Joseph's life, God makes provision to save the lives of his covenant people and to save the lives of the Egyptians. In fact, all the earth travels to Egypt so their lives might be sustained. Genesis 41:57 records for us all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because famine was severe over all the earth. You see when 
God gave Joseph the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. The interpretation was there would be seven years of plenty, abundant harvest, and then there would be seven years of famine. And God gave Joseph not only the interpretation, but the wisdom to know how to instruct and, and give Pharaoh directions for providing for Egypt and for the world. And so God used Jacob in this way. And so this theme that we see throughout the narrative is that God desires to spare. God is sparing the lives. He's preserving the lives of his creation through this one man, Joseph. In Genesis 42, 2, Jacob tells his sons, I want you to hear this theme. Behold, I've, I've heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down, buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. And in 42.6, we see that Joseph, being the governor of the land, his brothers come to him and they bowed themselves down before him with their faces to the ground. So that in verse 18 of chapter 42, it says, On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. In Genesis chapter 43, verse 8, Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy with me, that is, Benjamin. Send him with me and will arise and go that we may live and not die both we and you and also our little ones. In chapter 45, verse 7, last one, God sent me before you to preserve you, a remnant on the earth, and to keep you alive for many survivors, he says. You see, this is the theme that's woven throughout the Joseph narrative. God used Joseph through all of his suffering and afflictions to fulfill God's purpose of preserving life. And as Joseph reflects back over his life, I want you to know he attributes it all to the providential care of God. Genesis 45, 5, you sold me here, but God sent me before you to preserve life, he tells his brothers. And in 45, 8, he tells them, it was not you who sent me here, but God sent me here. See, at, at, at age 17, Joseph couldn't have known what God was doing or what God was going to do in and through his life. Hear this out, youth. Joseph had no idea at 17 what God was going to do in and through him. But as he faithfully walked with God, he experienced the joy of being content to trust God in the midst of sufferings and even in the midst of hardships. So that at the, end of his, at the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, hear what he is able to say and to declare to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, God providentially works through Joseph's rejection so that Joseph might become the means to accomplish his people's salvation. This is the hope of the gospel of Christ, is it not? Isaiah 53 speaks of Christ's rejection for our sake. He was a suffering servant rejected by men. The very men whom he came to save, he was the Messiah of the Jews, yet they rejected him. Scripture tells us he's the stone upon which men stumble over. And in his rejection... He suffered and he bled and he died in our place to accomplish salvation for all who by faith believe upon his crucifixion and his resurrection from the grave. And so Joseph's faith journey 
challenges us today to trust in God, to walk by faith, to use our gifts to join God in his mission of redeeming the world. This is God's mission through the church, through you and through me. God wants to use you, your life, your circumstances, and the situations in your life for his glory, for the life of the world. This is what God is working in and doing in and through each of our lives. Brothers and sisters, let us be men and women who have living faith. Because living faith looks beyond life's circumstances and uses God-given gifts to showcase Christ's glory in the world. Let me ask you a question. Let me draw the net here. How is God desiring to use you for His glory in the world through the circumstances and the situations in your life? What platform has he given you to make much of him? What opportunities has God given you to evangelize your lost neighbors and friends, co-workers? Realize this, believer, that the people God has brought into your life have been brought into your life for a reason. And God desires to use you to make his glory known in their lives. Just as Jesus himself suffered hardship and rejection that we might have salvation, he's called us to follow him. And that road looks sometimes, oftentimes, like suffering, hardship, even rejection at, at proclaiming and speaking of the hope of the gospel. But beloved, hear me, this is God's working in his hand in our lives that you and I would be faithful to live following him pursuing him walking after him I'm going to close this in prayer this morning maybe for you the the challenge that you need to hear from God's word today is that you would look to God in the midst of the circumstances of your life that you would begin using your gifts to serve him faithfully in whatever circumstances he's brought you in Or maybe for you this morning, maybe for you it's different than that. Maybe it begins for you with actually knowing God, the God of Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for sins that we might come into God's presence and have forgiveness of our sins. Whatever be the case this morning, I I want to encourage you and challenge you to respond to the Lord in the way that he's leading you. I'll be down front if anyone would like to pray and I I would be honored and overjoyed to pray with you about what God's doing in your life and you feel free to use the steps as a a place to come and to kneel and pray or just spend time where you are worshiping the Lord praying and confessing before him let us pray father as we come before you oh lord we confess that you are providentially at work in our lives just as you were providentially at work in Joseph's life You are providentially at work in our lives. And so, Lord, help us to be men and women who walk by faith, who trust in you. Who, like Joseph, are ready to run from sin, that it would grieve our hearts to sin against you. Oh, Father, teach us to be faithful men and women, to be faithful in the call that you've given us to faithfully follow you and to faithfully serve you. 
and to look unto you, the one who desires to work in and through us so that you would bless our lives, give us contentment and joy as we walk faithfully following you. We pray this in the strong and the powerful name of Christ our Savior. Amen.